Good evening and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church in New York City, a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in an atmosphere of love. Please join us this hour as Pastor Matthew Recker opens the Word of God and then brings others, including you, into the conversation. Tonight, we'll seek to have a dialogue that will glorify God and will show how the Bible is relevant to everyday life. Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own heritage of faith. Welcome and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program hosted by Pastor Matthew Recker. My name is Micah and I'm the ministry assistant at Heritage. And tonight we will conclude the story of Noah from Genesis chapter 9 in our series called Back to the Beginning. If you have questions this hour or need someone to pray with, give us a call. Our studio phone number is 929-333-3739. Pastor, honestly, I'm a little bit sad that after tonight we're going to be done with Noah. Do you get that feeling when you're finishing up a sermon series or are you usually ready to just go on to the next? Well, it depends, and sometimes both. I've been saddened at times, and other times I'm just excited to preach that next passage of Scripture. But, Micah, we might be done yeah. with Noah tonight, but we're not done with this series. So we still have chapter <laughs> yeah, 10. Weeks, yeah. We have chapter 10 and 11 to do. But then I'm excited about our next series that we're going to be doing as we'll study the life of Joseph. So I'll be sad to finish up this, but I'll also have a sense of accomplishment. You know, I feel like yeah. we've climbed a mountain, and now there's a new mountain to climb, and we'll we'll yeah. learn great things about the life of Joseph in our next series. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I love that story. Yeah. Well, we're so happy to be here tonight with our listeners on the Heritage of Faith Conversations, and we have my lovely wife in the studio with us tonight. Hello, Debbie. Hi. <laughs> Hi, honey. Hi, everybody. So we're here tonight to talk about capital punishment, the covenant that God makes with Noah and all living things on earth, and a curse upon Canaan. Those three C's will highlight this program as we study in Genesis chapter 9 tonight. It is, these are important subjects and, and timely issues, aren't they, that we get to deal with regarding the death penalty, for example, and the yeah, effect very that... very relevant. Mm-hmm. Very, very relevant, even to our day. So it's amazing how this ancient text deals with such up-to-date issues and subjects. So let's look at that tonight, and we'll go right into God's Word in Genesis chapter 9. We will read the whole chapter, the first 29 verses, and I'll get us going tonight in verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, and upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea, and to your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But, the, but flesh and the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of men... And at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. 
And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a token for a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. I and the sons of Noah that went forth, uh, sorry, and the sons of Noah which went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood three hundred and fifty years, and all the days of Noah were nine hundred and fifty years, and he died. All right, thank you so much. Dear friends, we're going to pray, and we're going to look into Genesis chapter 9. Our phone lines are open if you want to give us a call at 929-333-3739. We are here live in the studio on this Sunday night. And in the rebroadcast on Wednesday evenings, you can also feel free to give us a call at that same number, 929-333-3739. We're here to be a blessing to you. We're here to lift up you with any burden you have to share your burden. As the scripture says, bear ye one another's burdens. And that's why we're here. That's why we're doing this radio broadcast tonight as we get into Genesis chapter 9 and talk about capital punishment, the covenant of God and the curse on Canaan. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much now for this night. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your everlasting covenant fulfilled by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your mighty and precious word that is ever true and ever practical and relating to our daily existence and to a peaceful society. So, Lord, bless us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's get right into this subject tonight. I think we've, we've introduced it as we're going to talk really about these three major points. 
tonight of capital punishment or the death penalty, the covenant of God, the everlasting covenant that God makes with Noah and all men and even all animals on the earth, and this curse upon Canaan that has brought a lot of controversy and sad confusion over the course of time. So the first seven verses or so of this passage, we see the responsibility of man as God commissions man to reproduce and to preserve life on the earth. And the first two verses, actually, in Genesis chapter 9, are so similar to the commands that God gave to Adam in Genesis chapter 1. So what are similar? Let's look at these commands that God gives to Noah versus what God said to Adam in Genesis 1. And how are they similar, Debbie, if you could start us off tonight? And how are they different? Sure, Pastor. So Genesis 9-1 is similar to Genesis one twenty two and uh, Genesis one twenty eight in that Noah is told to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, just like Adam was. But um, I think the real point to make this current current events, um, I believe there is still more room for people on the earth. And this is contrary to the depopulation movement. And it's very sad to notice, to hear young men and women uh, commenting on, on television or social media, that they're not going to have any children. Yeah, that's that, true. This is very sad. It's a new thing in our society, and I pity them uh, first for their selfishness and then for their fear. Um, They're either unaware of what God has said or they're unwilling to do what God has created them to do. Yes, even in the recent ruling to overturn Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs decision of the Supreme Court, now young ladies are saying they're going to have operations to, to tie their tubes so that they can't have, have children, just so they can, I guess, live in promiscuity. And that's not the ultimate. I mean, obviously, the sexual union between a man and a woman, there is pleasure involved in that, and that's biblical. But the main purpose of it is to replenish the earth. And if people are so selfish that they don't want to bring children into the world, and children are a lot of work, right? But they're a blessing. Children are a great blessing. My children are a great blessing to me. Yeah, and you mentioned women, but I recently heard a young man say he was going to have an operation for the same purpose. So um, we just have to encourage our radio audience listeners that, you know, we need to do what pleases our Heavenly Father and recognize His will. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. And it also goes back to what we were talking about last week as well, Micah, when we were were talking about, uh, Mm -hmm. you, you know, that the whole green energy thing and, you know, um, that Mm -hmm. climate change. They think that that if we depopulate the earth, then we won't destroy the earth through by using the resources that God has put here. But God's command, as you well said, and as God says here, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And we do not have to be afraid by obeying this command that we're going to destroy the earth that God has made. Yeah, yeah, and Pastor, so I want to move on to the animals here, how um, God tells Adam and Noah they have dominion over the animals. And again, in the news, I want to make the point that dominion does not mean torture. Uh, Proverbs 12.10 says that a righteous person has a regard for the life of his animals. And um, I think it's very important to teach children to be kind to animals. And I was glad, again, this week, in the current events, um, mm. thousands of dogs were set free from being used for lab experiments. Yeah. I Great. think that's very important for Christians to stick up for the rights of animals, to be 
treated humanely, you know? Yeah, we have dominion. We have dominion over the animals, but that does not mean torture. That's right. And we can kill the animal in order to, to eat, eat it, it. Yes. but we don't torture it. We put it to a quick death, and then we can eat of that flesh, as God has said, but that is true. And there are even... Uh, there had, it has been uh, uncovered that even Anthony Fauci has tortured yes. uh, dogs and yes. things in, in his testings, and he has been outed for that. Yes, yes. Yeah, Micah? Yeah, and I think that these verses, they, you know, they show that when Noah and his family were given this allowance for eating meat, that there's this post-flood shift in the relationship between man and beast. God put the dread of man into the animals, and we witness this every time we get too close to a deer or a squirrel. The animal runs away, and I yeah. actually encountered a raccoon in my neighborhood this week, oh. and it ran away as soon as it saw me. Yeah. But we also understand that animals began to dread one another depending on their place in the food chain because this was the first time that God allowed them to eat meat as well because remember in Genesis 1 verse 30, speaking of the animals, God said, I had given them every green for meat. So mm. before the flood, animals um, didn't eat meat as well. So I just find it really interesting that this period of dread, it starts after the flood and it's going to continue until we get to the future millennial kingdom. And at that point, both man and animals will revert back to their prior vegetarian diets. And therefore, the relationship dynamic will shift back as well. No more dread. It talks about in Isaiah, the speaking of a child leading a lion, and the lion eats straw like an ox. Amen. So I just find it so interesting that um, it's going to revert back in the millennial kingdom. Sorry, Pastor, no more steak. Amen. Oh, but, yeah, but we can eat steak now <laughs> as well, and that's the thing. We can even eat shrimp, and we can eat lobster, and we can have bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches. And all those, will, all those require something to die for us to enjoy that food. And there's nothing biblically wrong with enjoying the meat that God has put on the earth. Now, if somebody wants to be vegan or vegetarian, they have every right. There's absolutely nothing wrong if somebody wants to be a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. I we need to say that also, right? There's nothing wrong with being vegetarian or vegan, and that could be a healthy lifestyle for, for some people. But it's also not wrong to eat meat. And what is wrong would be for anyone to say, for religious reasons, you cannot eat a certain kind of meat because God says that forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth for every creature of God is good that means it tastes good <laughs> and we, we can enjoy it so but uh, so we have that liberty you know God knew that after the flood men and women would be traveling around the world and they would have to eat whatever was available and um, here in Genesis 3, it says, you know, eat anything that moves. So everywhere on earth, there are birds, there are insects. And, of course, the freshest food storage is a living animal. You know, they didn't have time to garden as they were moving around. So they had to have this meat available. Right. So this is a big change from when God commanded Adam in Genesis 1 versus Noah in Genesis 9. Noah is given a greater freedom to eat meat and of all the living things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But as Debbie, thank you for bringing out that point. We do not torture animals in that process. So let's move on here and see how man is commanded to protect life by 
spilling the blood of those who shed other people's blood. This is what God says. Now, for those who shed man's blood, what does God say? Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. This is still controversial, is it not? Even in our day. So this is commonly called capital punishment or, of course, even more commonly known as the death penalty. This is a bit of controversy, but let's get into it, dear friends. Should Christians, based on Genesis chapter 9 and especially verse 6, still uphold the death penalty as a just punishment for murder? So, uh, Micah, why don't you weigh in on this, and then Debbie and we'll all have a conversation about this, and our phone lines are open. If we touch a button and you want to give us a call, dear friends, tonight, give us a call at 929-333-3739. We want to talk about what are some valid reasons for a death penalty, and what are the reasons that people bring up to reject the death penalty. Micah? Yeah, Pastor, I believe that the death penalty is still valid for our day. God told Noah in Genesis 6, verse 13, that the reason he was going to bring the flood, the reason he was destroying all flesh, was because the earth was filled with violence. Uh, There were additional reasons, but that is the one that God expressed to Noah. So after God destroyed wicked and violent humanity, it makes sense that God instituted something to deter that same level of violence and further protect human life. So capital punishment is the ultimate penalty for the ultimate crime. And I personally believe that if the death penalty were enforced consistently and only when murder is witnessed and provable, which is the biblical standard, then we would see a dramatic decrease in murder rates and crime in general, and the law would ultimately protect human life. Right. And obviously any capital punishment must be done in purity and justice and in truth and it's not just for any murder as well i mean david was david participated in murder the apostle paul participated in murder and they were not put to death absalom the son of david participated in murder he was not put to death so not all murderers were just instantly put to death in the old testament but there is a time and there was a place when murderers were put to death in Bible times. And, you know, Micah, the, the, this conversation as well is, is the death penalty legitimate? Well, God just killed, if you will, destroyed the entire human earth, right, for their violence. Everybody, so yeah. so God, God, in a sense, was enacting the death penalty when he brought the flood to destroy the entire earth. Yes. Debbie? <clears throat> Absolutely. I believe in the death penalty. Uh, it's still valid for today because in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, Romans 13, 4, the Bible says that a government official beareth not the sword in vain. And so a sword is different from a rod or a whip. A rod or a whip is used to correct and to control, but the sword Mm. is definitely used for the death penalty. It says, he beareth not the sword in vain. That means that the government official can have a reason, not in vain, but a reason for using deadly force. And notice it doesn't say his sword. It says the sword. He beareth not the sword. So that means the sword that's authorized by the civil authority. And Romans 13.1 says that civil authority is ordained by God. So it's not a personal sword 
like when Peter cut off Malchus's ear. <laughs> this is the sword of the civil society. So, um, right, and it's similar. We could even say today that a police officer carries a gun. That's right. I mean, the that they thing. carry a gun. That that can be easily that is used for deadly force when it, when it's used. And so, a police officer, in order to protect the victims of crime, to pr- to protect society, can put the perpetrator of that crime to death. Right, right. So that's the idea. Uh, without the sword of the civil society, we will become an uncivil society, and every person will have to arm himself or herself against the wicked uh, who commit multiple murders. That's the point, is that um, one of the reasons against the death penalty, they say criminals should be cured and not killed. But um, we don't believe, like you said earlier, not all murderers should be put to death. There are accidental murders, you know, and so on. But a first-degree murder is when someone slays an innocent person on purpose. And so killing first-degree murderers is not the same as murder. Killing a first-degree murderer is a necessary act of government in a civil society. Yes. In other words, when the death penalty is properly enforced, innocent life will be saved. Yes. And the innocent will be protected from those who seek to bring lawlessness into a community. So we have a phone call tonight, and let's go to uh, Brother Eddie. Thank you for calling, Brother Eddie. We're going to try to get you on the line, and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversation program. How are you doing, Pastor? Good, Eddie. You're on. Okay. Yeah. I agree 100% with the death penalty. And I believe, like President Donald Trump, anyone that kills a law enforcement should pull automatically put to death. It's just the death penalty. Because I don't think nobody should be shooting and killing law enforcement. And I also agree with what Mrs. Rector say that first degree murder should be put to death. You know, well, that's the only two reasons a person should be put to death is face the death penalty. Killing a law enforcement and first degree murder. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that, brother, and that's a good comment. We appreciate that. Micah, did you want to add to this conversation? Yeah, I just think, um, you know, all of this is so relevant, everything we're talking about tonight. And some people, they may try to argue against the principle that harsh penalties do, in fact, deter crime. But, you know, in our country, we can see that just in the last two years, there's a direct correlation between decreasing criminal penalties and increasing crime rates. There has been the whole defund the police movement, which has led to staffing shortages. There has been an end to cash bail in certain states, which means criminals can simply walk out after they're arrested, often going on to commit more crimes. And big cities have been flooded with lax district attorneys who are not enforcing the laws that we we already do have on the books. And what is the result? Well, on Thursday, (laughs) one of the candidates for governor was physically attacked with a sharp object. And yet, originally, his attacker just walked out of jail six hours later because no cash bail. And the cover of one of the major newspapers in New York this Tuesday pointed out that major crime in New York City is up 37% since last year. And we all feel it. You know, we did the homeless outreach on Saturday, Pastor, and we could see that the city feels different. It feels more lawless. So the idea that harsh penalties don't deter crime is a fiction. And as I said before, if capital punishment was enforced consistently for the right reasons, as Eddie just said, 
I believe it would lead to a diminishing number of murders. Yes, I believe that that the death penalty, again, justly and truthfully enforced, elevates human life. It doesn't degrade human life. It makes it, it, it shows the sacredness of human life because murderers are a danger to the innocent. And and that, that happens that, that can be enforced both domestically and nationally. So one nation will uh, has has authority, if you will, from God to declare war against another nation that if that nation is a threat to the citizens of, of the of the land. So, for example, some wicked, murderous man like Hitler, nations must declare war against such a, a man because he is, he's going to murder so many people. By putting Hitler to death, if you will, you'll save many lives. And so the death penalty, properly enforced, saves life. Let me just give a couple of verses on this as well. In Second Chronicles chapter 22, we read about the wicked king Athaliah, and it says she destroyed all the royal seed of the house of Judah. She killed all of her grandchildren. This is Second Chronicles 22, verse 10. And then we read in Second Chronicles chapter 23, she paid for her crime. There was swift retribution, and Athaliah was put to death. Second Chronicles 23:15 says so they laid hands on her. And when she was come to the entering of the horse gate by the king's house, they slew her there. In other words, she wasn't on death row for 25 years. People say that the death penalty is not a deterrent. Well, when you put them on death row forever, you know, and they appeal and reappeal, then, of course, there's little deterrent uh, to, to that crime. But if you swiftly apply death, the death penalty, so they got her, they slew her right away. And I love the result of it. It says in Second Chronicles 23, 21, and all the people of the land rejoiced. Listen Amen. to that. The Amen. people of the land. And, and it says, the city was quiet after they had slain Athaliah with the sword. So the people rejoiced, and there was peace. There was quiet. Yeah. So, of course, um, people say it's not a deterrent, but I read something that um, this man named Ernest Vandenhog said. He said this about deterrence. If you said... Murders committed on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday received the capital punishment, and murders committed on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday received no capital punishment. Do you think over the course of time there would be an equal number of murders on each day of the week? <laughs> so there you go. right there, you have to believe things have um, punishment. Every punishment is some kind of a deterrent. Yeah. Well, and, and this debate from a Christian perspective... I do believe Christians should believe in a death penalty because what is the wages of sin? The That's wages right. of sin is death. God takes sin seriously. God and Jesus Christ himself came to earth and paid the just penalty of our sin. And he died for sin. And so God himself believes in a death penalty. The Apostle Paul said this in Acts chapter 25 and, and verse number 11. And this is when he was standing before the judgment of Rome in his trials. He says, for if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. So sounds to me like Paul would have held and believed in a death penalty. And so th these are some of the reasons 
And some of the verses, Romans chapter 13, Acts 25, verse 11, and also the passage uh, uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 22 and 23, that we would hold uh, to a death penalty. So there's one more um, objection, which is the, the best argument for no death penalty is that innocence might get executed. However, every behavior causes innocence to die every day. Automobiles cause innocent people to die. Bicycles cause innocent people to die. Medications cause innocent people to die. Every behavior causes innocence to die every day um, for the greater good. So we don't get rid of certain things um, just because an innocent person might die. Right, right. Yes, Micah? Yeah, and I think one question is, are we going to stand up for life? You know, when we have talked at length about Roe versus Wade, or Pastor, you just mentioned Hitler, and I think of uh, the pastor in Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who he was part of a plot to actually kill Hitler. Um, They had placed a bomb on an airplane that Hitler was on, and it was not successful. But the question for him was, am I going to stand up for life? Hitler's doing all this. He's committing all these atrocities, murdering all these people. And so he, as a pastor, decided he was going to stand up for life. So I think it's a good question to ask ourselves. Are we going to stand up for life? Yes. Well, the thing is, when, when murderers are allowed to live, often more innocent people die by that murderer's actions. Prison guards die. Other inmates die. The witnesses, they get those witnesses um, killed you know, sometimes the murderer does get out early and then they kill other people. So, um, you know, victims live their lives in fear, thinking the murderer might escape from prison and come after them. So there is uh, concern for innocent people, but it's the innocent people that the murderer has already hurt. Right. Now, wh- what do we say to the others? And this is where some people selectively use Bible verses. And we know that the social and secular architects influencing the thought of our culture entirely reject any form of capital punishment. And these are sometimes very smart people. They're secular, but they're smart. And they also know how to just kind of pick certain Bible verses and twist their meaning. And one of those verses they, they, they pick is when the woman was taken in adultery. And, of course, what did Jesus say? He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And so some people use this verse as to, to, to try to justify that none of us are sinless and none of us have the right to cast a stone or impose capital punishment against any criminal. So what, what would you say to that, Micah, to argue against somebody cherry-picking that verse and using it as a as a bludgeon against capital punishment. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, it wasn't an official court case. Jesus wasn't the judge in this situation. And he was actually just using this as a tool to point out to the people that had brought the woman the woman to Jesus. He was saying that their lives were full of sin and maybe even adultery in their cases. So I think that it, it wasn't like they had brought him, there was an official court case, there was official proceedings, witnesses. It wasn't the same thing. Yeah. You know, Jesus realized they were tempting him, and if they were, their motive was to trap him. He actually endorsed the capital punishment. He said, you that are without sin, cast the first stone. He was saying they could, they could enact the death penalty. They just had to be doing it 
out of a pure motive, and that's what we really need. We need to make sure that uh, the murderer is is the one uh, who is worthy of death. You know, we need a justice system with DNA and other testing uh, videos that we can be sure that the person is guilty. Right, and and really taken to an extreme when people use that verse as an argument against the death penalty. Taken to it ex- to its extreme, it's like, well, he that is without sin has no. We're, we're all sinners, so none of us have a right to judge anyone. So we should just take down all of our court system. We shouldn't have judges. We shouldn't have lawyers. That would that would be nice. We we shouldn't have we shouldn't have any prisons because all of us are sin, sinners and none of us have the right to judge anyone or anything. So just tear down the entire justice system. And if you don't have any justice, you have absolute anarchy and lawlessness. So obviously Jesus was not teaching anarchy and he was not teaching injustice in that he was really exposing in that story the absolute hypocrisy of those Jewish men who took the woman taken in adultery, but where was the man taken in adultery? Yeah, if she was taken in the very act of adultery, it's like, where's the dude, you know? That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, th- these are some of the things we, we could talk about here. So let's, let's do this. Let's take a bit of a break. We're going to go to a song, and we're going to come back on the other side of this song and talk about the covenant that God makes with Noah and all living things on the earth, and then talk about a very important passage that has been sadly misused and abused about the curse upon Canaan and what exactly happened in Genesis chapter 9 when, when Ham saw Noah naked after Noah got drunk. Well, there's some things we could talk about there as well. So let's go to a song. This is a beautiful song about the great covenant of God as we talk about this covenant. And thank God that Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of this covenant. He's made a debt of mercy. And we are to enter into that covenant by saying yes to God and believe on His Son, Jesus Christ. Of covenant mercy I see I come with your righteousness on My humble offering to bring The judgments of your holy law With me can have nothing My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from
absolutely love that when he says forever and always secure and that's what God's covenants do for us they give us security because when God makes a promise you can absolutely bank on it and here we see the everlasting covenant that God makes with Noah and all humankind upon earth so, Micah, let's talk about this covenant for a moment, and then we'll get as well into the sign. In other words, how did God sign his name to this covenant? So, Micah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in verse 7, the Lord charges Noah and his sons for the second time in this chapter to be fruitful and multiply. And then God establishes a covenant with all flesh on the earth and their perpetual generation into the future. And the covenant consists of a promise, and I'll just read again, 9.15. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. Now, this covenant would have been very comforting to those that have just come through the flood as they're getting off the ark just to have God say, I'm never going to do that again. It just would have been so comforting to them. And it's also one more proof that Noah's flood was worldwide because if this was simply a local flood, as some Christians believe, then God has since broken his promise of not repeating it. There, I was looking it up this week. There's one river in China called the Yangtze River, which floods every so many years, and the floods have killed upwards of 4 million people just in the last century. So God's promise was specific to what had occurred. Never again would he destroy all flesh with a worldwide flood. Okay, that's it's exactly right. And I want to give a shout-out to two of our precious, beautiful friends, Sister Chloe and Phoebe. And I did verify they are listening tonight. And this is pretty deep for little children to be listening to. So let's try to put it on their level for a moment. So Chloe and Phoebe, and to the young people who are listening out there, a covenant is a divine promise. And God is promising Noah and to all of us, and he's promising this to you, Chloe and Phoebe, and to all the children growing up, even in a world where people are scaring the young people that the earth is going to be overrun with water if we, if we destroy the climate, right? But God says, no, 
that the earth will not be destroyed by water anymore. That's the promise that God makes. And then he also, as, as, and I'm going to just skip ahead here for a moment, Micah, but part of this promise then goes to the one who's going to deliver the earth from sin. And remember, God had promised to send a seed, the seed of the woman, who would crush the serpent's head. And God promises that the seed is going to come through the son of Shem. One of Noah's sons was Shem. And the seed of, or the Messiah would be born through Shem. And, of course, Abraham is going to be born through Shem, and Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jesus. Jesus. So, so basically what we have here, Chloe and Phoebe, is God's making a promise, and he's going to tell us more about this promise as you read further into the Bible. And, but the first thing we learn about the promise of the coming of Jesus is he's not going to destroy the earth with water. And that the Messiah, Jesus, is going to be born through the son of Noah named Shem. All right? So that's the everlasting covenant, and Jesus is the fulfillment of it. Okay, Micah, did you want to add to that? Yeah, and he, well, just that God signified this promise, and, and he did it with a wonderful rainbow in the sky. And, you know, kids love rainbows. I love rainbows. The sight of a bow-shaped light spectrum, it's still a wonder to me every time I see yeah. it. Um and God says, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And I believe that the rainbow is like a glimpse of heaven, because in both the book of Ezekiel and the book of Revelation, there's a rainbow in the throne room of God. So Ezekiel 1:28 in part says, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face. So we don't know, but perhaps Noah and his family also fell on their faces when they first saw the beautiful rainbow. Yeah, and that's something beautiful for our children as well. So the next time you see a rainbow in the sky, Chloe, Phoebe, our little precious children out there. I don't know if Emily's listening. I'll give her a shout-out, but they're going to family camp this week. But when you see that rainbow in the sky, you could just say, God is faithful. God is true. He has not destroyed the earth with with a flood, and he'll never do it again. And the rainbow is a sign to the entire earth. You know, the rainbow as well is a sign that that the flood was not a a local flood. It was a global global flood, a global catastrophe, because wherever you go on the earth, what do you see? Did you see a rainbow in Grenada? When we went to Grenada, didn't we see an amazing rainbow? And, and I've seen rainbows in Japan. I've seen rainbows yeah. in Ireland. And whatever country one would go to, they would see a rainbow after a beautiful rain. Because God has signed his covenant with a rainbow in the sky. And as you said, Micah, I love that verse in Revelation chapter 4. And you mentioned Ezekiel chapter 1. But Revelation chapter 4, it says there's a rainbow about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. So... The, ra- the rainbow is God's. It's, it's, a, a, it's the, a, a spectrum of all the beauty of color in the sky, and it reminds us of God's faithfulness to establish an everlasting covenant. One last verse before we move on from this. I, I must read Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, because this, this verse has the expression everlasting covenant that we also see in Genesis 9. So Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, 
that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. And so the rainbow in the sky reminds us of God's faithfulness, of his beauty, of his grace to send his son, and may we do his will when we see that rainbow in the sky. Okay, let's move on now to the curse that is placed upon Canaan. Now, this story is like, this is a bit shocking. After everything that Noah endures, the moral courage of Noah, the faith of Noah, the integrity of Noah. So it's surprising that here we see Noah plant a vineyard after he gets out of the ark and then drinks of the wine of that vineyard and he gets drunk and he's discovered naked by his son Ham. Now, how can such a mighty man of God fall into the sin of drunkenness? That's what I wonder. And how do we interpret this? How do we apply this even for our day? As wine, of course, is a very popular drink. And, but, but let's talk for a moment as well. What are the dangers of drinking alcohol still today? It was dangerous for Noah to do what he did. And many people still flirt with that danger today. Deb? So, obviously, the two dangers are drunkenness so that you're not in control and Drunk parents uh, cannot wisely direct their children. And so Ham uh, did this terrible thing and got himself and his um, you know, children in trouble. And also nakedness. Drunk people um, uncover themselves and commit immoral acts that they would not normally commit. And sometimes people get drunk so they have an excuse uh, to commit immoral acts. And um, you know, to see that a great man like Noah can sin in this fashion, it should be a warning to all of us um, that the safest position, the position I take toward drinking alcohol, is to abstain. And so um, the Bible says we must all take heed lest we fall. You know, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And we're all tempted to do things that we shouldn't do. But we, we can't put confidence in our own flesh that, oh, I can just drink a little, and I want to include drugs in this too. Oh, I could just do a little drugs. Um, you know, drink in moderation. But the point is, <laughs> um, people can easily go beyond uh, that point of moderation and get themselves in trouble or get their children in trouble. That Noah was such a great man who saved the earth and showed so much courage and integrity, and yet he fell at this moment in his life. It's shocking, and we must take heed to that. Micah? Yeah, I read a statistic just this morning that said every year alcohol kills 95,000 people in the United States. 95,000 is the third leading cause of preventable death after tobacco and obesity. Mm-hmm. Uh, drinking alcohol can lead to cancer, brain atrophy, and infectious diseases. But more important than the health benefits of abstaining is the spiritual benefits. There's a reason that God, when he separated someone in the Bible, often with a Nazarite vow that he would forbid them from wine and strong drink. And, you know, my last drink of alcohol was more than 11 years ago. And as soon as I stopped drinking, my spiritual life became much more rich. And I think that's a, there's a principle there. Yeah. You know, we haven't given the phone number much tonight. I'm so sorry. But our number is 929-333-3739. There are people listening to us tonight who are struggling with alcohol. You've become addicted to this drug. And you, it's destroying your life, or maybe it's even destroyed your family. We want to hear from you right now at 
888-528-2339. If we could pray with you and ask God to deliver you from this. I read today, Micah, and you gave a statistic of people who die from alcohol every year. How about drunken driving deaths? One person every 45 minutes mm. dies through a drunk driver mm. in the United States of America. Every 45 minutes, that's 32 people a day, and that's over 11,600 people per year. And again, people cherry-pick Bible verses. Jesus made wine, or take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Some people know only three or four verses, and those are the verses they know. Jesus turned water into wine, and they just justify drinking carte blanche because of that narrative in the Bible. But my friend, the Bible also says wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. And Proverbs chapter 23 verse 29 says it well. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has babbling? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine that go to seek mixed wine. And so wine is a mocker and there's great danger and it does lead to drunkenness. So let's, uh, let's continue on. Let's move on here as our time is fleeting. Micah, as Noah got drunk, yeah. what did Ham do to Noah? Okay, so if we simply take this passage at face value, we see that Noah has gotten drunk to the point of passing out and ended up uncovered in his tent. And his son Ham observes him this way. And instead of covering his father, he goes and tells his two brothers in some manner of disrespect. Now, I think that this straightforward understanding is surely a good possibility, but it leaves us with a lot of questions like, how did Noah know that Ham, what he had done upon waking up? Did such an action really deserve such a curse? And if so, why curse Ham instead of cursing, you know, why, why, why curse, curse Cain, Cain rather instead of yeah. cursing Ham? Yeah. So I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to point to a scripture that may indicate there was more to the story. So Leviticus 20, verse 11, which is also written by Moses, says, The man that lieth with his father's wife hath uncovered his father's nakedness. And Leviticus 20, verse 20 says, And if a man shall lie with his uncle's wife, he hath uncovered his uncle's nakedness. So it is possible that scripture is discreetly indicating that while Noah was passed out drunk, Ham entered his father's tent and, quote, saw his father's nakedness, meaning he either forcefully or consensually had relations with Noah's wife. Now, we don't know for sure, but some scholars believe that, and that's the possibility I lean toward. Okay. Well, I don't – we're going to take a little – we're going to disagree with one another uh, on this passage because I don't yeah. see it that way. But as uh -huh. you said, some do. But I'm going to just take the text at, at face value of what it says – because it doesn't say that Ham uncovered Noah, but only that he saw him uncovered. And also, when Shem and Japheth went in, they were so discreet. And it, the emphasis here is they did everything they could not to look upon Noah's nakedness. They went backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. But because of the passage as well in Leviticus chapter 18 where the sins of the Canaanites are enumerated, and in that passage talks about not to uncover the nakedness of various family relatives and the wickedness of that. Some believe that there is more to what is written here, that Ham did something, some kind of immoral action was taken by Ham. But we're not really sure about what, what happened there in the tent. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, let me ask our listeners... We, we talked earlier about the covenant that God makes with the world. 
and how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that covenant. If you don't know Jesus, would you call us right now at 929-333-3739? We want to pray with you. If you do know Jesus, but maybe you've been engaging in drunkenness, you've been engaging in lewdness in your life with those that you're not uh, united with in the marriage bond. Maybe you're living in adultery or maybe you're committing fornication in your life and you it's, it's bringing great guilt and shame to your life. Repent this evening. We want to pray with you about this. We want to see God deliver you from this. And you could call us right now. We have loving and discreet counselors at 929-333-3739. So Ham commits the sin, but Canaan is cursed. Why should Canaan be cursed if it's Ham that sinned? That's the big question here. Okay, so Deb, do you want to weigh in on this? Yes, okay, so this is what I think. So first we have to note that great civilizations have come out of all three of Noah's sons. And now there were only eight people on the ark, so Canaan was not on the ark. So Canaan was born in the New World. He represents the future. So Canaan was the son of Ham, as you said. Ham committed the sin. But Noah curses the future of the Canaanites because God can foresee that there will be great and grievous sins in the Canaanite nation. Okay? So this curse is a prophecy. Noah prophesies and curses Canaan because God is foretelling um, through Noah speaking that the Canaanites will be slaves to sin. And then Joshua and the Israelites will go in and conquer the Canaanite nations. And so I think this prophecy gave the Israelites confidence uh, to not be afraid of the Canaanites, uh, even though there were giants in the land. Absolutely. Yeah, so this is a prophecy. And I believe that's the first thing we really have to underscore there, as, as Debbie, you well said. It was a prophecy for the Jewish people not to fear the Canaanites. Micah, do you want to give a last word? Um, I just think there's so many interesting correlations between Adam and Noah, everything from be fruitful and replenish the earth all the way down to their sin with the fruit. Noah had the sin with the wine. But it's just a really beautiful study, and I'm so glad we got to do it. I feel really blessed by it. Yeah, wow. And the time again went so fast, and we don't have time to fully finish. But, dear friends, Jesus Christ loves you. And this passage ends, God, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. Blessed be the Lord God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessed be our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's live for him. Let's love him. Let's follow him. Jesus said, follow me, and let's be a fisher of men. For Jesus. Good night, everyone. Good night, Chloe, Phoebe, Micah, Debbie. Thanks for being here. God bless you all. Good night. Good night, Pastor. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist Church and our service times and locations, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website, hbcnyc.org. And join us again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for another Heritage of Faith conversation sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church. Until then, rejoice in the Lord.